Welcome to the Primary Knowledge Podcast brought to you by Cornerstones Education. I'm James Marriott and today we're exploring what makes a good primary school resource with Dale and Catherine. Guys, you're much better at introducing yourselves than I am, so um, tell us tell us who you are. My name's Catherine Scott and I'm the Curriculum Manager at Cornerstones. So I oversee the production of all the resources that people use. I've taught for 13 years in schools and I've worked at Cornerstones on most of their products for the past seven and a half years. So um, I live and breathe resources during the week, basically. And uh, hi, my name's Dale. Nice to see you again, James. I'm normally the person behind the scenes, to be fair. So it's a first time on podcast for me. But I've been working at Cornerstones now for seven years. I'm the commercial marketing manager. But, you know, that has responsibilities as well of seeing the visual identity of the company and uh, moving that forward through the design department as well. You know, we've got a multitude of different things that we have to get our fingers stuck into, whether that be video production all the way through to resource design. Cool. Thank you, guys. I'm looking forward to this because, I mean, who doesn't love a good resource? So let's tackle that question first, then. What is a good resource? What makes a good resource? There's a multitude of answers to that. So boiling it down to a few points is quite tricky, actually. But from what we've learned over the years of creating a wide range of different resources, the first thing is that it needs to contain exactly the information that you want to put across. Now, I know that sounds obvious, but sometimes it's quite hard to decide what you're going to teach the children. So a good resource has the key information very clearly written and it also is written to suit the age of the children. The second thing is it's got to be engaging and that can come from all sorts of different angles. It can come from what's written in the resource, but as importantly, the look of it so that people can engage with it. It can be images. They're very important. Images have to be accurate. They have to be clear. It can also be the layout of a resource. The information can be as interesting as anything, but if it looks dull, if it looks boring, if it doesn't look readable, it's not going to work. So there's quite a lot actually to think about if you're designing up and making resources that actually will allow you to teach the points you want the children to learn. I completely agree. And for me, it it really is a visual point. You know, going back from my own experiences as a child in primary school, the resources that I loved the most were the ones that showed factually accurate imagery, especially when it came to history and geography, um, you know, making the text in small pockets rather than, you know, reams and reams of paragraphs. There's nothing worse, really, for a child to be presented with a resource that's just really text heavy, um, especially for the younger years as well. Um, Even for year six, we've got to make sure that they get pockets of information and the information that they get is absolutely key. But from a visual point, though, you know, we make sure at Cornerstones that if it is a history lesson, for example, and, and we're doing, I don't know, Roman pottery, Every single artefact shown is realistic. Um, it's either come from archives, museums, and, and we do all that research as well. And, and we, we talk to local museums just to see if they have anything that we can have access to, just to completely enrich the resource. One of our things, and I think Catherine agrees, is that we believe every child deserves access to something outstanding. And, and there's nothing worse, you know, between state education and private education, why should one child be more deserving than the other even just the smallest resource is a picture card resource 
everything is thought about and every element we try to succeed and, and produce the best that we can. Yeah, it is amazing what seems a tiny detail is very, very important. We spend an inordinate amount of time looking at images. And uh, yesterday, I spent a lot of time looking at frogs to make sure they were slimy enough, <laughs> which I know sounds a little bit weird. But when you're trying to teach kids that amphibians are slimy, and that's the key teaching point, if you've got a picture of a dry amphibian, that is not going to reinforce the teaching point that you're trying to make. So it is key that what you show is accurate. We very rarely actually use illustration in our resources. Uh, we do sometimes, and we've got to sometimes, but if we can get a real picture or a real video of the actual object, creature, if we can get a source from history that we can use that's actually a first-hand source, we will use it and take a lot of time to actually find it because it's highly important that the information is correct and the picture you're painting for the child is accurate. And that resource has got to do a job in a few minutes of teaching knowledge quickly and accurately. So same with diagrams. We spend a long time creating our own diagrams. Mm. They go through so many different iterations and changes to try and make sure that everything is as accurate as possible. And when you've got used to doing that, you then look at some things that you find online and you're going, hmm, that's not <laughs> quite right. When you, If you're looking at maybe the Earth orbiting the sun and you're like, hmm, no. That it's amazing the... Um inaccuracies we find on wiki <laughs> you know it's a that's We're a that, that's that's um a, a primary area really for teachers to use and you know doing cross referencing between wiki and then i think the curriculum team use britannica especially for the history section yeah. just to literally make sure that every fact is correct and that we don't feed any any of the children any incorrect information which is hard it is hard are you suggesting that Wikipedia isn't the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth? Heaven, heaven forbid, heaven forbid. <laughs> um, Catherine, I must say I'm jealous. Frog watching, perfect job. I would, I would love to do that. That is an ideal job for anyone. All right. So, I mean, this is really important, isn't it? Because particularly, you know, we're talking about primary age children, the world we live in, taking the mundane and making it come to life is just essential. Otherwise, you know, you've, you've lost you've lost children in seconds if you can't grab their attention quick enough and keep it. So I think it all makes sense there in terms of what makes a good resource. The, the next question really is, the next step from that so we've touched on the fact that you know maybe wikipedia isn't the holy grail where where do you source good information and you know ultimately if i needed to find a picture of a slimy frog where's the right place to go where are you going to get those good images from well for the information the answer isn't that there is one place that that is not true there's not one place where you can go for good information you've got to research and you've got to cross-reference and I know that's tricky for teachers in the classroom because everybody knows teachers are, are time poor but what we've learned is there are some really good source of information. Dale did mention Britannica, the National Geographic is a really good source of information. Mm. Some of the historical associations like um, English Heritage and National Trust for wh whatever subject you're researching, those organisations are very good for information but they won't contain everything you want to teach so what i would say is i would use information books that are published so if you're doing about a certain topic say romans or something like that 
definitely get some information books to read. Take that information and then cross-reference it with other sources. If you're finding key dates, key facts and information, actually go online and check, is that date correct? Is that information correct? Or has somebody actually found out something new? Because the other thing is, some information was written quite a long time ago and some is brand new. And as we know, science changes over time, history changes over time, etc. So all I would say is, get a good handle on the subject first, have a good read around at those different types of websites and in, in books that have been published and be cross-referencing it and always have your eyes open for anomalies. So always think, oh, hang on, I read that this was what happened first, but this source says something different. And dig down into it, because you can find the answer, but it does take a little bit of digging down and, and digging deep. And also, you might read loads of stuff that you think is interesting, but actually you need to think, what am I wanting the children to learn and focusing on that? So that's for the sort of knowledge-based information. Images. Um, in the office, it's a bit different for images because we've got copyright laws to adhere to. Mm -hmm. So we actually buy a lot of our images in from sites such as Getty Images, places like that. And also we do source images from people. So some archaeologists in York, we source some images from them. Scarabray in Scotland, we, we sourced from them. We found an artist who did um, beautiful ancient civilization reproductions mm. and we bought his, his images. Teachers have got a bit more leeway because they can, you know, do an image search and show something on the screen. But all I would say is just make sure the image is showing exactly what it says. So again, cross-reference. We laugh at Wiki, but sometimes they have a good image or two. But you have got to check that whatever it says on that image is right. So again, find something you like, check it's right, cross-reference it with another source and then you can be happy it's worth using and, mm. and it'll teach the right thing. Yeah, I was going to say, following off that, emailing artists, we've got some absolute fantastic contemporary ones because, I mean, that's a, yeah. one of the most hardest ones that we've tried to find recently is anything modern, you know, everything's mm. restricted down and, and you know, it, it's fine if the artist is 100 years old, but then the resources become a little bit more typical where it's just mm. like Raphael and, and um, Michelangelo, but... I suppose with our resources and, and I suppose to teach the children as well, we try to make everything the most up to date we can just yeah. so they get a full plethora, uh, you know, all the way from historic artists all the way to the modern contemporary ones. And some of the artists, they've, they've been absolutely brilliant. You know, they email back and they say, oh, my God, thank you so much for, you know, including me. And they absolutely love that exposure, too. And it does really help with the children as well because they get a multitude of different cultures in there as well. I was about to say that, actually, teachers can do that. I think teachers should feel free to email somebody and ask if they can use some information mm. or, or artwork. As Dale Definitely. says, we've had really good feedback from people and, and a willingness to share what their expertise is. So I would definitely say to teachers, if they're struggling maybe with local history or something like that, find some local sources and maybe drop an email or ask if there's any photos to use. Definitely. No, most definitely. That's a, that's a great tip, actually, isn't it? Because it's not as if you're asking someone if you can use something for 
commercial gain you know this is for this is for schools you know this is for for education and um yeah i think we'd all be surprised just how willing people are to um to support that which yes. is thrill um all right then um i want to kind of double down a little bit more then and, and ask you catherine i'll ask you this first about the favorite resources that you've worked on so stuff that really sticks out in your mind Again, that's quite a hard question because when you've worked on thousands of them, <laughs> it's oh, yeah. quite hard to to choose. So what I would say as a, as a genre of favourites, video work is a great favourite of mine because we've created some gorgeous videos for all subjects. One of the World War II videos we created was spectacular. We could use some images, some film clips, lots of cine film clips in it. I also do love audio resources we do audio stories and and that's a good one for teachers if you want to put a story across but don't just want to stand in front and teach record the story put some different voices on it and play it to the children and we've got some lovely audio stories especially for history when it's a bit hard to find the information and visuals if you can make an audio story and Dale does a brilliant thing with the sound effects on our audio <laughs> stories yeah just try and make it fully immersed you know yes yeah yeah lots of sound effects on those bring them to life sorry that's quite a long-winded answer and it isn't totally specific it's a, it's a great answer to be honest and I think brilliant tip there with audio because I think it's an underused resource in, in, in so many different areas. But, you know, we know that children have got amazing imaginations. And the great thing about giving them something in an audio format is they they form their own pictures. They build their own mm. pictures around it. You know, it can look what, what someone describes can look different to every individual child in a in a classroom. So what a great way to let their imaginations run wild. So I think that's an absolutely fantastic tip. Thank you very much, Catherine. Okay, so Dale, if I can, um, can I ask you the same question, really? Uh, any any favourite resources of, of yours? My favourite has to be the knowledge organisers for the sheer fact it's complete condensed knowledge that the children need. And if I was in school now and I had knowledge organisers like that to hand, it really, really would have helped. Um, so much so, you know, the, the condensed key information, there's glossaries on there. Um, everything you're going to learn that term basically being condensed into two a three pieces of paper and and I think from us it's an absolute phenomenal piece of work and I know um, schools have given their feedback and say uh, how great they are but with that in mind got um, novel organizers and book organizers throughout um, key stage one and two really really great sources just to get that love of reading in there as well yeah I think that's the key thing that we've not actually touched on with this we've talked quite a lot about visual mm. um, elements but that is another thing with resources it's about actually reading across the curriculum and a good resource gives children chance to read for knowledge and understanding mm. rather than just reading for the sake of it being a reading time or or something like that and that's something that's absolutely key because we really make sure that the sentence structure all the way through from nursery through to year six is appropriate for the year group. We make sure that the vocabulary is appropriate and is accessible. Like Dale said, we provide glossaries, knowledge organisers to reread and overread because the idea of resources is that the information in them builds up over time a bank of knowledge mm, mm. and that the children actually use them to independently learn mm. and be able to 
increase their knowledge. That proved really well for the um, coastline project that we have, especially um, children learning some rather complex things. Um, yeah, you know that they young just it, yeah, and, and it just stuck with them. And I think from anyone from a reading point, trying to you know always coming across the same words, you know progression of of vocabulary, it really does help. I also th think that is key for teachers to actually put some stretch in the resources if you're making them. Not too far, you shouldn't push too far and you should be teaching what's needed, but actually trust them that if you challenge them a little bit and add in a little bit more or some interesting nuggets of information, they will respond to it. Coastline was one because it seemed quite a tricky project, but the feedback we got was children really learnt about geography and they really read about it and they used the maps to understand about different places. So that's another thing we're all for you know it's got to be age appropriate but also making them given appropriate challenge as well and f like you said earlier um firing their imagination and hooking them in is really important too brilliant well uh, there's so much kind of useful stuff in there um hopefully people will take a lot from it so thank you dale thank you catherine you're welcome yeah, thank you very much nice to see you <laughs> Now, as you've probably gathered, we love a good resource. So uh, we've put our money where our mouth is. We've dug out some examples. So if you want to explore, learn a little bit more around the topic, then head to the show notes for this episode. And of course, there is loads more information and you can find all our other episodes at cornerstoneseducation.co.uk. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.